welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Julie Hyde, I am so excited to be interviewing you for She's the Boss Chats. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Jules. I'm really excited about our chat. Oh, I am too. And I have heard about you all around the traps. Everyone talks about you. And yet I didn't know you that well until I spoke to you on Zoom. So today is going to be really interesting because I want to explore all about Julie. So, but let's start off by why don't you tell everybody what it is that you do now and why? Okay. Just a small question. So, yeah. <laughs> Let me condense that. Um, yeah, let's start that. Yeah. Okay, so what I do now is I work with both men and women and I work with them to empower them to yeah. live a life in alignment with their values and their vision um, and ultimately to lead a life they love. So, and the key distinction in terms of who I work with is those who understand that their destiny is in their hands and they're the only ones who can create that. So I sort of provide oh, a God, I love it. path, a light along their path for them. Fantastic. And of course, the big question next has to be why? What make, what? Why are you doing this? Yeah, why I'm really passionate about people understanding that they are the leaders of their life and that everyone is a leader regardless of whether they have a title or not. Um, yeah, love it. Ultimately, we're a role model to those around us, whether you have children or not, but as parents, we're the biggest, we play the biggest role models um, to yes, our younger generations. Yeah. So I'm really passionate about um, sort of switching people's thinkings and understanding that they are a leader first and foremost and that they can lead their life. And I believe that if we have more people doing that and taking responsibility for their actions, for their beliefs, for how, you know, simple things like how they're, um, talking and communicating to others that yeah. we're going to have a much better world. Like our communities, our societies will be a much better place. I absolutely agree. And I also love the idea of taking your own life by the horns and yeah. leading your own way because I have to put up my hand and say for so many years I felt like I was going to get discovered or someone was going to come in riding in on a white shining horse and go, <laughs> oh, my God, Jules Brook, I've been looking for you all my life now. I've got millions of dollars and great ideas <laughs> and I'm going to show you how to do it. And it just – and here I am at nearly 57 and that actually doesn't happen. <laughs> so I <laughs> – Darn it. So I love it that you are, um, you know, that you're teaching people that. And I would say the earlier, the better. <laughs> I totally agree. And yeah, yes, yeah. Um, I think people do sit back, you know, particularly those who are in corporate and think, you know, I'm doing a great job and, um, you know, people will recognize me. But unfortunately, yes. everyone's so consumed with what they're doing, they, 
often don't notice what's going on in front of no, them. No, no, mm. and I love that. Okay, so next question. We're going to go right the way back to when you were a little girl <laughs> and we're going to take the journey um, as to how you've got to where you are now. Again, mm. because I believe that it's really interesting for younger women and other women of all ages to hear that we haven't all had this nice linear path where we went to school, went to uni, got a job, led us up a path and, you know, leapt off at the deep end and suddenly became millionaires it just doesn't happen like that so um so let's start off with where did you grow up and what did your mum and dad do and do you have brothers and sisters yeah so I had I suppose a really conventional childhood you know mum and dad we grew up um in Mitcham in Melbourne I've got a sister and um you know, Dad was a lithographer, and it's part of the a lithographer. Oh, so okay. Like that printer part of the is that printing industry? Yes. Right. So, right. Um, I don't think his position is around anymore. But um, no, but he, I remember litho printing. <laughs> yeah. So he was part of that. You know, putting the particles of color together for for magazine printing. Um, for yeah, those right. who don't know what that is. Um, yeah. So, you know, Dad would go off to work. Mum sort of did bits and pieces here and there. She was a, a really great um, cake decorator, actually. She made, like, wedding okay. cakes and judged at the Royal Melbourne Show. So Michelle, my sister, and I, we went to um, primary school in Mitcham and then we went to um, secondary school, Our Lady of Sion College in Box Hill, what did, which well, was a well, let's just school. Okay, stop there for a second. Okay. Did you enjoy secondary school? Was was were you a good student? School. Were you you hated it? <laughs> I hated it. <laughs> I, I again think that's really great for all the kids out there that hate school to know, <laughs> you know, life doesn't end if you're not great at school. No. So so you didn't enjoy it. Were you good at it though? Were you a bit nerdy or not really? Um, I don't think, I don't think anyone's ever called me a nerd. No. So, um, I was much more interested. I was very good at sport. So oh, okay. I was much more I can't more relate interested. to that at all myself. <laughs> <laughs> I interview all these women who are great at sport and I'm like, wow, you're like another creature from another planet. But anyway, okay. So you were really good at school, at sport. Really and that good. probably got you through, did it? Were I you on myself, teams for? Yeah, I got myself through school. Um, I lost my way through school um, because oh, did you? I've grow- I grew up just always wanting to be a vet. Um, right, okay. I really loved animals from a very young age um, and I just wanted to be a vet. And, of course, when you get to year 10, um, you do work experience. So I did work experience at a vet and okay. – I think I cried every single day and just realised I didn't have the emotional fortitude to be a vet. And so just I sick really, animals made you cry? Well, I mean, oh, what I made mean, you cry? Was sick it just. Sick animals made me cry if animals came in hurt um, yep. because of being yep. mistreated. Like, it really, oh gosh, I didn't even really think about that. Upset me. Yeah. And yeah. I just, you know, I, and I felt like, <laughs> you know, when. Um, animals were being uh, neutered, for example. I didn't understand why the vets sort of weren't carrying them like they're babies. Like I just wanted them to, not that they were treating them badly or anything, but I just, yeah, every day I'd come home and I was crying and and mum and dad sort of said, I'm really not sure that you're (laughs) 
be able to do okay, this. Okay, so, so what do you do when you've wanted to do something since you were a little girl? And for me it was PR, weirdly. I didn't really know what it was, but wow. my favourite uncle did it okay. and had a big PR company. And so I went and worked for him for a while after I finished school and didn't really like it at first. But what was it when you when you have this big dream and you suddenly go, um, that's not for me, is that where you lost your way and went, I just don't know yep. what else I'm going to be if I'm not going to be a vet? 100%. So I was right. like, well, okay. So not to say that I was going to get the marks to be a vet because you have to be right. really bloody smart. Yeah, that is another, yeah, that is another aspect another, of it, but still. Sorry, but I and it. it's all science-y if you're totally. not good at sciences. So I've lost the motivation to dedicate <laughs> right. myself, like to push through um, yep. to achieve those types of marks that I might need. So okay. I just didn't know what I wanted to do. I did year 12. I passed year yep. 12. Um, I always did what I had to do to make sure I passed. Um, yeah, so like, that you weren't going to fail. Exactly. But you were just coasting. Yeah. And so did you do an arts degree, can I ask, like no, I did? I did not. <laughs> no. What did you do? What no, did you do at the end of school? I uni. I just thought uni is just not, More school. not my thing. So yep. dad said, why don't you join the bank? Like it's a really good career. Why don't you just go and join the bank? So I did. Okay. I applied at a right. couple of banks and I got the role um, with the NAB. Um, so was this like a graduate student's kind of role? I mean, so do they I, want you? I started right at the bottom. So I started as a teller. teller. Yeah. Right. Started as a okay. teller. And, so, um, and you're, what, 18 at this stage? Yeah. It's 18. 18-year-old bank teller. Okay. Yep. And um, I just had a, a, a great career and uh, I learnt so much. I think What do you mean? So you stayed for a long time with NAB, did you? I stayed for 21 you? years. Stop it. Yeah. I didn't know you were with a bank for 21 years. 21 That is a very conservative environment to be growing up in, I guess. Or did you find that it wasn't because it was so big there were lots of... Oh. Yeah, talk to me about it. Yeah, so um, there's a lot of perception about finance, but when you're in such a big, a big corporate business, there are so many opportunities. Right. And I was extremely lucky to work with leaders who saw a lot of potential in me. Um, right. And I was lucky at that time because it was very male dominated, and I was lucky because they were men who right. um, really yes. believed in me and provided me the pathways to um, to progress. So I think okay. I had a different role pretty much every two years. Um, oh, great. So you yeah. didn't get bored sitting around in the same job. It would be learn something new and then move on. Yeah, so exactly. So t- take me then over 21 years, just, I mean, I know it's it's a long time, but there probably are some highlights. Can you talk to me a little bit about the progression you made and some of the highlights or some of the things you might have learned along the way? Yeah, I think, um, gosh, I learned so much. Um, I think I learned a lot about leadership during that time because right. in working for different leaders pretty much every two years, you see the good and the bad. So you can really work out who you want to emulate and who you don't which I think right. is really helpful. I um, think it is too. What did you love? I mean, did you? what did you love about good leaders? I just felt that they empowered you rather than micromanaged or told you what to do. They provided a vision and, and would enable you to input. They would want right. to hear from people 
and um, they How did would, they feel about mistakes, do you think? It was a pretty compliant environment that I was in for a long time. So mistakes to a certain point probably wasn't great to make them. Right. So it was very important that you, you know, we had to balance to the scent sort of <laughs> Yeah, of course, I keep forgetting it's finance. It makes me want to feel it. (laughs) As I I progressed um, into more leadership positions, um, I don't feel that you were punished, but I think it really depended on the leader if you made a mistake. And probably adding up numbers wrong wouldn't have been as as tolerated as, I don't know, saying the wrong thing or wearing the wrong thing or was there any of that kind of stuff? No, no, we was had it always flesh-coloured stockings and navy suits? That's what I yes. always think of banking. <laughs> we had a uniform that we had to wear in the branches. Oh, we didn't have to wear it in the branches, but we had, you know, we had a uniform and it was just so much easier um, yeah, right. to get up and jump in a uniform. But um, I don't know, would you? I, I feel like I grew up there. Um, yeah, so you must have. I, I mean, 18 to, what, yeah. 30, 39. So where did you get get to then? Tell me about the last role you had there. So I moved into um, some senior leadership positions and sort of towards the end, I can't say that was a highlight and that's why I left. So <laughs> Often isn't. <laughs> as you get older, you really get to see what's really going on and as you get higher within that organisation and um, – yeah. The Wizard of Oz wow. suddenly looks very small and green. <laughs> it does. So right. um, I was a, um, a state business manager for Victoria in Tasmania. So, okay. So, you know, sort of walked in the ivory tower and um, I, I didn't love it. Right. So was there something that made – so from there – sorry, let me ask first. From there did you go on to another role or was that the moment that you decided to go out on your own? No, so um, that when I was moved into that role, I had been an, a um, a leader of a huge team, a really big team, spread Prior over a large okay. geographic area, and I loved that role. I was okay. put in there to turn it around. It was really poor performing, had a very bad culture. Um, and I was put in there to turn it around, which we did. We turned that wow. business around and it was such a great achievement. And that's where I really understood my passion for working with leaders, for empowering them and yep. sort of the the power of providing a vision. That but makes sense. enabling them to work out how we're going to get to that Vision. So, what are the steps? And then, then simply, and that's not simple, but simply keeping them accountable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and when I was moved out of that, you do a great job and they want you to go further, which is great, but it sort of took me away from my passion. What you love doing. Yeah. And so, also, to an extent, it must have been a bit like your baby because you had hmm. taken it from woe to go yeah and helped and nurtured these people and then they go great now you've ticked that box move on and you'd be like but hang on a minute it wasn't a box ticking exercise for me no it was more about the people so so what we did you then look for another role with you know similar to the one that you had loved well that's where I thought well where what 
do I want to do now? Um, and sort of seeing, you know, every, every couple of years in large organizations, generally when a new CEO comes in or a new um, <laughs> general manager, there's change. Yeah, so yeah. I became incredibly good at adapting to change in that organization. And um, when you're seeing, you know, big promises being made and they're not necessarily delivered down to those at, you know, at, at the ground level, it's like, mm, I don't want to stay here anymore. Like, I just don't love it. And yep. it took me a year to sort of work my way out because right. I had grown up there. It was like a grieving process. It's like, well, I bet. Oh my God, yeah. who am I if I'm not Julie Hyde? That's how I was like, yeah. Julie Hyde. And Julie Hyde from NAB. Yeah. Right. It's Julie Hyde. Um, in this corporate. S- Business. Did you so, get help? Did you get help during that period, Julie? Did you have either someone like a counselor or a mentor internally, or did you think about get back getting someone external to help you with that? I mean, I know I wouldn't necessarily have done it. I'm just interested to know. No. So what I did right. decide to do was I decided to study a diploma of executive coaching and um, certificate for in coaching. So I sort of moved into this brand new environment that was really, I suppose, the eyebrows raised when I first went there because I'm like, this is like something completely foreign. But it was like, my God, there's like this huge big world (laughs) outside of NAB. And that's where I thought, right, I think – I might do something for myself. Right. So you went from NAB to working for yourself with this this kind of segue into uh, coaching along the side that I presume NAB kind of encouraged you and had paid for, had they, to no, get, give you more skills? Okay. Um, and that was something I did for me um, yep, to get okay. better at, um, you know, just you know, finding out techniques, what could I do better, understanding more about me as well. And, um, you know, I had a little bit of a side hustle going on with um, – because you need to do that as you're going through the training. So I had a little side hustle going on. Oh, so thought, what were you oh, doing? God, pardon? What were you doing? What was your side hustle? Oh, that was it. So just uh, coaching people. Coaching. And um, on so, where side. did you find them? Was it people at work, or how did you find those people? Um, some people through work, and then um, mostly through my friendship circle. Yeah. So, yep. Um, you know, sort of doing some pro bono work, and I thought, oh, okay, I'm really enjoying this. So, I had this idea that I'd start my own business, and I thought, well, it can't be that hard if you build a website. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, well, on business the surface, card. it isn't. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's and you right. create a logo. How hard can it be? That's right. Yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, well, let's talk about that. So, you decided to make the leap, which I bet shocked everybody if you'd been there that long, mm. um, including yourself. I bet that moment, the, the the first day when you come home and it's all over, and they've given you the leaving gift, and you've done the party, and you look around and go oh, my God, how am I going to pay the mortgage or the rent next month? <laughs> exactly, because I did have a mortgage and I was single at the time. Right. So it was um, – I probably didn't realise how big a leap it was and I found the transition quite difficult because uh, I was always used to being surrounded by people and then, you know, I'm home. 
So that yes. transition was really hard from being the leader of people to just, you know, and I say just, which is not just, but just being the leader of yeah. you. That's like, oh, well. Mm. No, but there's a beautiful thing. I love that expression. Um, fools go in where angels fear to tread. <laughs> or, <laughs> or what's the other one I like? Something about being naive. But basically you, we wouldn't do half the things in life that we do if we knew oh, no how, what it was going to be like on the other side. Definitely so na- naivety breeds, I can't remember what it is, but anyway, confidence basically. But it okay. is, if you don't know what you don't know, then you go, I'll give it a go. It can't be that hard. On the surface it looks easy. So really? how did you – how was the first year of your business? First year was um, interesting. It was like I had this, <laughs> I had this new freedom. But because and, – and it was interesting how people perceived you because all of a sudden you're not working anymore. You're right. um, available. So I sort of got swept up in that, um, oh, you can have coffee or you can do this or right. you can so, do that. So sort of social stuff you mm. mean as opposed to – right, okay, yeah. gotcha. Because the other school of thought is that if there have been people watching you for a while – I say this to a lot of people who are nervous about jumping and I'm like – as in jumping out of a full-time job. And I'm like, there's a lot of people that are probably watching you that don't, you know, don't ever want to offer you anything or do anything with you because they think you're happy where you are. So to some extent, my old boss that I remember, and I stopped working for anyone when I was 23, but I still remember her saying, opportunities happen to those who let go. And so that's been a bit of my motto, but it's, but it isn't easy. I know that it isn't easy. So Mm. keep talking a bit more about that. No, I think um, one thing I did, a big lesson I learnt was that I had a network within the within the four walls of that organisation because networking wasn't so big back then. It wasn't spoken about a lot, sort of extending your network. So one thing I learnt very very quickly was you need to do that. So I joined um, BNI, Business Networking International. That yep. was probably the best thing for me to have done because yeah. I then created a network of like-minded people. So a lot of the um, people there were small business owners. So it was sort of like-minded people who, and we supported each other. But it's there that I got really good at talking about me and what I did because yeah, I wasn't great. used to that. I'm, no. I, I could sell, you know, ice to the Eskimos at, at the NAB, but to do it for yourself, it's very, very different. It's so different, isn't mm-hmm. it? And it's so confronting and you feel awkward about it. I mean, that's one of the things that I say to people about PR, like take, take the focus off yourself and think about the role models that you're offering to other people because yes. it feels so awkward it going does. out and saying, aren't I great? But you're much better off going, did you know how to do such and such? Let me tell you how. <laughs> yes. Because in, <laughs> in um, organisations or, or back when I was there, you were not really encouraged to talk about yourself. Like if someone's no. talked about themselves, it's like, oh. Who knows? Like, like, oh my god! So, but um, so it's a real quite a big cultural difference. Different. So, um, yeah. So that was a big lesson. All right, and BNI is is for anyone who doesn't know it is fantastic. I think it's great because it teaches you how to network. Really, it's kind of structured networking to an extent, isn't it? Absolutely, it's very structured. (laughs) You have to be quite disciplined with it, Um, but. 
as I say, the key thing is you have to talk about yourself, which and really think about the message that you're conveying to people, um, which I think it, for me at the time, it was fabulous. And I stayed there for five years and it was great for those five years. Yep. Okay. So I, it taught me a lot. And I met fabulous people who I'm still, you know, close with today. Yes, well, I met um, a fabulous woman who's a COO um, uh, of Matthew Steer, who was the woman who said, you've got to talk to Julie Hyde, you're oh, going to love yeah. her. So, And she said that you had started this circle and that it was amazing. So, so okay, so you did that five years and in that first five years of your business, were there any sort of pivotal moments, any highlights, lowlights, or should we move on? Oh, gosh, yeah, because I started <laughs> just before the GFC hit. So oh, okay. Not that you can foresee that happening. Um, no, but I remember going into work when they said Lehman Brothers is going under and I was like, oh, what even is that? Like that's yeah. a very big company, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So I suppose um, that really So recession me. time. Yeah, so recession time, which it didn't really hit me while the recession was on. So I had um, I was working with businesses who really wanted to double down and make sure that they were providing, like, the best level of service to their clients. Uh, it was after the GSC right. uh, that I really felt the effects of that. So, um, In what way? What do you mean by that? Just where um, businesses have made decisions because I suppose they had really understood the impact to their bottom line so the purse strings tightened um you know they get rid of what is perceived as um optional fluff yes and pr um, was top of their list let me tell you yeah yeah <laughs> that's how so, i came know, up with hand handle your own pr came particularly out of the fact that all our clients left us yeah and i suddenly thought actually i could teach them to go directly they don't need to pay an agency because they need it anyway Mm. Um, so what did you do when all the clients start peeling off other than freak out, which I think we all did? <laughs> yeah, freak out. And um, that was probably where I faced into my biggest challenge because I'd um, done a renovation um, and so the mortgage was higher and probably, right. yeah, back was to the wall um, right. at that time. So around It's horrifying 20, at the time. Oh, can, it's can so often hard. lead to a new direction, though. So, what yeah, did you do when your back yeah. was against the wall? So, um, then I started consulting, if you like, consulting into working in um, small business and right. um, helping them with their people processes. So, really okay. taking what we had in corporate and implementing that into small business, adapting and implementing it into small business um, who may not have had uh, the understanding of how these frameworks can work for them and how it can elevate their team, elevate their business as well. So working with the leaders to do that. Okay. Um, So Um, that's another direction that I took. So it's okay, very, so yes, you, it does really challenge you to think about your offering and how you can evolve. So there's been a lot of evolving. <laughs> I bet there has, but one of the things that I particularly love when I'm talking to women who have come out of corporate 
is how little they perceive their skills to be useful. Mm. (laughs) I don't know whether that's the right way to put it, but... You know, consulting is so obvious to some of some, and I'm sure to you now, if you look at women and you go, hang on, you were the marketing director of such and such, or you were the head of finance. Of course, there are other smaller businesses that would love your skills. And they, and often when I've spoken to people like that, they've gone, do you know, that hasn't even occurred to me that I could do that. Yeah. So it, a big leap for you. But so how did things go after that? So uh, how long ago are we talking about now? So that was GFC was 2008, 2009. What have you done with the last 13 years? <laughs> oh, so the last 13 years have been an incredible, like, involvement, I suppose. Roller coaster. I did, I did start a women's network because I found that coming out of somewhere that was very male-dominated, most of my network was men. Blokes, I always worked yeah. with men. So I'm like, oh, I need to meet women. So I thought, why not, you know, start a women's network, you know, like you did, Jules. And, um, well, yes, but you did it much earlier than me. So what was yours called? Initially it was called Leaders and Lattes. Oh, um, I love the name. Because I thought that people would want to network in the morning, but they did not. So oh. um, it, it was an evening event. So lattes was code for wine in the end. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So I have a monthly events, and I, you know, get a great speaker in, and I held it. Was was it, they weren't huge? Um, they were smaller events, more intimate, which is kind of nice. Yeah, I think that uh, as nice. women, we yeah. do like those smaller events where you can really get to chat to everyone. Definitely. So that was one thing I did. Then I, um, you know, started the mentoring, or I, you know, extended that. Um, did workshops, keynotes, and I eventually wrote my book as well. So, what's your it's book called? Busy. Tell us all about the book. It's called Busy. Busy. And it's about um, really taking control of the busyness that can tend to control um, your yes. time and what you're doing. And people get very consumed with that. So, um, you know, it's all about sort of turning it that reactive into proactive and being productive with what you're doing rather than just busy. I mean, Oh, I love it. It's like busy is a, is a swear word almost now. And I know totally. I use it all the time. So I think I probably need to read your book. Um, <laughs> when did the book come out? Oh gosh. I think that was in 2017. I wrote that. Oh, sort of pre pandemic. Good Good reading for all the people oh, that yes, then stayed at home for yes. two years. <laughs> all right. And then um, I'll ask you some more questions in a minute, but how did the pandemic affect you and what what have, yeah, how, how's, how have you managed the business since then? Because that was such a rude shock to all of us. It was a very, very shock. Um, I was very lucky that what I could, what I was doing, um, I could do at home and right. that the majority of businesses that I worked with at the time were in the construction industry. So oh, they wow. kept going. Yeah. Wow, yeah. construction. So, That's interesting. Yeah. So I was really lucky. I know finance to construction, how does that happen? But it does. Well, it, and I love um, hearing women in construction, particularly. There's um, a woman I interviewed a couple of weeks ago um, 
is a lecturer in construction at South Australia University and was the first female tradie in South Australia back oh, in like the late eighties. Yeah, she's brilliant. And yes. and I, and, I, and I've just done. Uh, I was MC for Empowered Women in Trades earlier this year. So I feel like this whole women in construction thing is kind of all around me at the moment. Um, but that's amazing that you started working in that space. That sort of makes a huge amount of sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, and this is, uh, it goes back to your point before, where just because I had a career in finance doesn't mean that the skills that I learned are not translatable to basically yeah. any industry. So, um, yeah, so I was very lucky with that. My mentoring clients just transitioned online. Obviously, it impacted my events. So yes. I did take um, that online to a point where, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd run a um, speaker event sort of online. Um, yeah. But in 2021, sort of my life sort of changed significantly when I was diagnosed with stage three melanoma. So, oh, shit, Julie. I didn't realise that. Okay. Yeah. Very confronting. So, that was really confronting and particularly in that time it was yeah incredibly difficult so that sort of turned everything on its head yes and business what a baptism of fire yeah right so you slowed it right down because well obviously you would have been too sick really to going through the treatment i'm thinking to uh, be able to run the business effectively or did you just tone it down a bit well, I had to have some um, pretty major surgery and um, so that took me out for a while and it was just such a shock. You just don't understand the shock of it and you're trying no, I- to navigate something that is completely foreign to you yeah. and people are using this language and you've got no idea. Like I was diagnosed on a Wednesday I was in hospital on the Monday having some pretty major surgery and I was in hospital for 10 days. No one could come and see me. No. Um, so I was alone, pretty in there. Um, and you've just got, you think you're just in shock. <laughs> I bet. I mm. bet. Mm. Yeah, so, so business absolutely slowed down. I was very lucky to have incredible clients who were very supportive, yeah. um, which is you know, I'm so grateful to them. Um, yeah. And so I took a period of about three months off. One thing I'm incredibly grateful for that I cannot recommend highly enough is to have insurance in place. Yes. Um, I know that's like a, a side message, but it's no, just. No, no, no. I mean, we talk about everything in this, but that really saved your bacon, did it? Is that income protection you're talking about? Yes. So um, even though there was a wait period and um, it's just something you don't need to worry about because you've got so much to worry about. else to worry about, yep. And um, it doesn't force (coughs) you to go back um, when you're not ready because, um, you know, it's a pretty – pretty trying time depending on your circumstance. So, yeah. So that was a big lesson and um, certainly lots of challenges that you need to navigate and it's a big test on your mindset and it's a massive test on 
really being able to adapt to your circumstance. Yeah, I was going to say think, resilience and adaption oh, and innovation and yeah. all those words would come to the fore. 100%. You really need to, yeah, wow. dig deep. Yeah, so so that's – and have have you gone back into business now? Are you doing something different to what you were doing or are you just doing it as a side hustle or – I mean, that's quite recent, so. yeah. It's very recent. I'm still going through treatment. So it's um, – I've gone back gradually uh, and so probably I'd say probably back maybe 50%. Okay. So. And have you kind of made a decision that to, to yourself that maybe you won't go back to 100% ever again or I won't go are back you to working what I was doing, no. no. I always thought that I was great at – um, looking after myself and it was one of my key values. You know, I was, oh, I've always been great at exercise. No, I never had to be forced to exercise. It was just one of my it's the routines. sport thing. Yes, total sport <laughs> Which thing. Which I don't do at all, but, yes, I know you need to. <laughs> mm. But then I look at my diary pre-diagnosis, even in the pandemic, and it was chock a yeah. block. Right. And I look at it and go, what were you doing? Why were you doing that? Why yeah. did you feel that you had to jam pack your days so much that um, I don't know, don't know. But now, yep. um, no, my diary is not that. And so I have very clear understanding of who I am, what my values are, how I want my days to be. And I put pretty firm boundaries around that now, um, which oh, yeah, includes good, work that's and a- includes social events. Yeah, good. Okay, I'm going to ask you that question because one of the one of the big well, I'll ask you now, and then we can go back to some of the other questions. But mm. one of the biggest things that I've learned, I've now interviewed about 250 women, is the number of them that have pushed themselves and pushed themselves and pushed themselves till they've got burnout. And when I guess in my naivety, when I hear people have burnout, I figured that they might be in bed for a weekend. I've now interviewed women that have been in bed for a year Mm. or not been able to do anything for two years. People who've Mm. had to completely change their lives because they just push themselves so hard. And I don't think, I really love talking about it because I don't think a lot of people really understand what they could do to their body and Mm. what the extent that burnout can affect them. And stop you working and stop you doing all the things that you love. Yeah. So um, I think that that's really wise. So my question is, how are you juggling work and life? Where are your boundaries? What sort of hours are you working? Mm. So now I pretty much do hours. I'm quite flexible. It just depends on what's going on at the time because, unfortunately, you have to juggle sort of home and treatment um, work and treatment so yeah the appointments I didn't think of that. is insane so it's like understanding what you've got on what you need to do and then how do you need to support yourself in that time so I won't start I, I do not start sort of work with clients before 10 a.m I yep. might start nine o'clock ish and then I'll be done by six um, that sounds latest. really long to me. My no, God, I thought you were going to say by two. Yeah, that's at the latest. <laughs> so during the day I'll have a break. Um, right. It just depends on what's happening. So I won't yep. be full on working during those hours. Just um, depends how I'm feeling. Sometimes I have to be kind to myself and other times I might like really motor through. But I'll have a couple of hours break during the day. 
and, you know, give myself a rest. I try and work only four days and I, you yeah, know, great. do not work on the weekends unless right. I've got myself very, very behind because yeah. I've been too kind to myself during the week. Or, so. or someone's asked you something great, but maybe you balance it with saying, okay, totally. well, I'll take it. It's a total I'll take balance. my Wednesday and Thursday afternoon off if I'm going to work on Saturday or whatever. Yeah. I think that's terrific. I'm, I'm uh, one of the big questions, one of the big moments for me was I said, I was saying to someone how they were saying they work really hard and I was saying, so do I. And I said, but I pretty much love my downtime. And they were going, oh, I never have it. And I said, well, what do you do if a client cancels and you end up with an afternoon? So I have that occasionally. People, you know, you block some, someone out for three hours and they cancel. And I said, for me, I take to the sofa and I watch Netflix or I read a book <laughs> or I do whatever. And they went, oh, no, I go, fantastic. Now I've got another half an hour for another half a day for work. Yeah. And I said, no, no, no. So it, it is learning those things, I think, learning to take the time when it's given to you. That's right. And I think the time is really... I think it's so important and, think, you know, when we're tethered to technology and when we've got jam-packed diaries and that this busyness seems to be something that people attach their significance to. It's like, yeah, it's a, like a badge of honour. Absolutely. And it's like, well, if I'm not busy, then what am I? Um, but the key thing is that, you know, people – and it is when men and women seem to do this a lot in that they ignore what's going on in their body. So it's like, oh, I feel really tired. I'm just going to push through and I would do that all the time. Right. Um, but it's like, well, oh, I've got I, shingles. I to- oh, well, I'll just, it'll take me a week to recover and I'll go back rather than exactly. taking that as a massive uh, sign that your body's not loving it. Oh, 100%. And even like the fatigue or the tiredness, it's like there's something wrong. There's something not yep. working. Um, they don't get their their breast checked. They don't check out if there's something not quite right. They don't get their skin checks, which I'm a massive advocate for now. Yeah. It's, it's you know, all the things that you compromise because, oh, I'm just so busy. I'm so important. Um, but, You're right. you know, there's a real imbalance with that and danger zone, which leads to burnout. Yep. Yep. Wow. Great answer. And I'm very aligned with you, although I think that you probably were a bit more structured than I am. (laughs) Um, (coughs) Okay. So my next question to you is about women because this is a show called She's the Boss Mm. and I like to think that we are offering role models to other women, maybe younger women as well. One of the things that I feel that we need to change is I don't think we see enough women, business women in the media. I don't think we hear about enough stories and mm. I don't think we, we get hear shout outs of the names of women mm. who are doing terrific things out there. Mm. So one of the questions I like to ask is in your career, and I know that there's been a predominance of men, especially in the banking part of it, but have there been any women that have really stood out to you who have helped you in your career? Yes, definitely. And it Can is, you share a couple of names and, yeah, and what they did? since I started my business because, right. you say, in corporate it was not women. So, no, interesting. Um, it was men. I was yep. lucky. Um, now, uh, Jenny Brown, who I met through B&I, I met her very early on in my business. She's a financial advisor and she has a business, um, yeah. JBS Financial Strategist. She is a massive supporter of 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 women. Great. Um, 
And she has just, you know, I worked in her business. She supported me as soon as I came into BNI. Um, she's just been, yeah, she's she's an incredible giving. Um, and oh, it's lovely to hear model. about. I love yeah. hearing about women like that. Great. Yeah, she's just so really kind of took you under your under her wing and and helped you. Get ahead and employed you and all those sorts of things. Yes, yes. Yeah, great. And um, that incredible lady that you met at BNI, <laughs> the CEO, COO of uh, Matthew's dear, um, Catherine Duncan, she is just. She's fabulous, I, I have to say, yeah. Yes. She loves you too. Yeah. <laughs> I love her. <laughs> she is, um, she's now one of my nearest and dearest and, um, I met her. She came to Leaders and Lattes and um, right. we just slowly built up this relationship. But she just huge, huge supporter. And she's just this incredible, authentic. Yeah, I think that's what I got about role her. Model. Yeah. I like I really like people that are honest. I guess yes. authentic is another word for it. But like don't give me all that bullshit corporate speak stuff. Totally. Tell me really how you think and what you're really doing and I'm much more interested. And I got that from her straight away. Yeah. She's um she's been I'm yeah, so with pleased. me for a long time too. So yes, love her. Oh my god, do you want me to go on? <laughs> yes, I do. Go on, give me another couple. Okay, so another couple who's been really pivotal. They've been this my is... two most okay. pivotal pivotal women, and I suppose recently there's a, a wonderful lady, Jeanette Creamore, who um, I met through networking while I was in my business and just a mate, incredible mind and so giving and wanting to really – she's a massive cheerleader and she's a huge butt kicker for me. Oh, um, great. <laughs> well, we need, need those, don't we? You yeah, you do. Absolutely. So, yeah, just another amazing, amazing woman. Oh, well, I love hearing that you've got these women around you supporting you. It's interesting that you talk about from corporate to running your own business because – I hear this time and time and time again that the women in corporate are really not terribly kind to each other and that a lot of people will say the nastiness and bitchiness that I got at in work or the bad leadership or whatever has come from women. And then you come out and, of course, I've been in entrepreneurs land for 30 years now and the women, I believe, that in, in outside of corporate anyway, that we are huge supporters of each other. So I, I always it's sort really of say different. to women, if you want to make a leap, you'll be surprised how many women will be there to, you know, lift you up and hold you and, and just make sure that you're not going to fall. And there are stacks of women that, that are like that, I think. Oh, totally. And you're right. Women. I think the worst leader I had was, unfortunately, a female mm. in corporate. Like, mm. that worst totally stripped me of my confidence. Um, but you're so right, and I know you're really passionate about changing that. Yes, and, I am. Um, I totally support you because it's needed. It's just it's it's just a, very a really different way of thinking. It is, and I feel that now I'm going to put my little feminism hat on for a minute. But I do <laughs> feel that it's quite patriarchal. To I think the model of getting people to compete against each other is something that boys are brought up with, and they're taught that you know. The, the tougher you are with someone, the more you can get 
good things out of them. And the more that you pit people against each other, the way, that way the, it's sort of survival of the fittest. And I actually don't think that's very helpful in business. I um, think it's much more about having each other's backs. So, yes, yeah, so it's something I would love to change in in business, but I am always hearing these stories of, I mean, there was one woman I interviewed, she had had, I said, what's the biggest team you've ever managed? And she said, 50,000. I was like, that's not a team. Anyway, and I said to her, she was, yeah, she's an incredible woman. And I said to her, you know, tell me about any women that have helped you in your career. And she said, I literally cannot think of one woman ever that has helped me in my career. Ever. I know. When you ask me, I'm like, I just can't, can't think of any. I really wanted to think of one there. I, I, look, I had great people sort of around me, um, but I, I think there are women in those organisations, but they've they have to be very secure. I think a lot of the bitchiness comes from insecurity, and so when you meet these women that have a real sense of themselves, they're not going to get pushed around. They know what they're doing. They're the ones who take young women under their wing and look after them. I think. Yeah, you're right. And unfortunately, as you said, like the the model, like the the it's just not encouraged. That is, is is still implemented is based on competitive, like you know, business unit against business unit, and you've got to. You've got to succeed or you're out. And and they completely ignore the fact that if you had 10 people that were all helping somebody to succeed, then they're probably going to succeed in an even, even better way than if they try and do it by themselves in, in isolation. Mm. But anyway, mm. it is what it is. It's a culture that I think will is changing and, and will change more over the years. I do think but it is changing, yeah. It, it, it's broken and I think it, we need to recognise that it's broken and I feel like maybe some of that happened over the lockdown. Mm. Um, but we will... I guess, see. Okay, now I've got a really out of left field question for you and then I'm going to let you go. Is there a quirky fact about you that most people don't know that you'd be up for sharing? <laughs> I love this question. This is such a funny question. I, I know, it is, because it can be anything. About, like, quirky, my quirky. I think I have, <laughs> a lot of people won't know, I have a huge love of glam rock like I'm stuck in the oh 80s. wow really I'm not sure if that's quirky but, I think that's um, pretty quirky like I'm super excited because Def Leppard are coming out in um <laughs> 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 sorry um I, I think, love it yeah no I um, think that's quirky and tell me do you get all dressed up do you put on your Def Leppard gear to go and see bands like that depends who I'm seeing but I'm not <laughs> but you have been known to <laughs> yes, exactly. I love it's that. so funny when you go because people are still are still a little bit stuck. Um, in the I bet. Well, you, it, but great. that's the whole I point, love isn't it? it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's great. Now, Julie, if anyone wants to work with you, which I am sure, hearing this, that there will be, um, or they want to get hold of you for a chat, or they want to get you to speak, or they want to know more about your book. Um, what is the best way for them to do that in terms of social and or websites? I say that and sometimes people put their phone number. I don't want a phone number on the internet. <laughs> but, on phone yeah, but, well, where um, can they find you? <laughs> well, LinkedIn um, yeah. is, you know, I'm I'm really prolific on LinkedIn. So, uh, and also my website, it's got everything on there, which is juliehyde, H-Y-D-E dot com dot 
Fantastic. Well, thank you. You are such an amazing inspiration and a wonderful woman. And I'm glad that you are beating this bloody melanoma thing and uh, and we're all cheering you on. Um, but you will get out on the other side of it. And I really appreciate you sharing your story in the meantime. Thank you, Jules. And thank you for everything you're doing in supporting women and really lifting them up. It's definitely much needed. So thank you so much for having me as a guest on your beautiful podcast. My absolute pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she'stheboss.com.au. 